Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm popping up in this off week for Amicus to tell you about a conversation I had recently that I think is a really worthwhile follow-on from the conversation we had last week about the big voting rights cases at the court. And as part of this year's South by Southwest Festival, which is going on right now, I got a chance to speak to Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon about voting, about big money, dark money, and about the filibuster. The conversation comes as Senator Merkley and some of his colleagues in the Senate introduced S-1 this week. It's known as H.R. 1 in the House, more broadly the For the People Act. Our Slate Plus members have access to that full interview from South by Southwest. Here's just a snippet. Hi, and welcome to South by Southwest and today's uh, urgently needed discussion with Senator Jeff Merkley from Oregon on democracy reform and voting rights and uh, the For the People Act, which is a comprehensive Senate package aimed at bolstering basic ideas of one person, one vote and constitutional democracy. My name is Dahlia Lithwick. I cover the courts and the Supreme Court and the law for Slate. Uh, and I host the podcast Amicus, and I'm so delighted to be in conversation today with Senator Merkley on this issue. So I think I'm just going to start by saying that we're here to try to connect two kind of attenuated ideas, that despite Joe Biden's victory and inauguration, democracy has by no means triumphed uh, over impulses of authoritarianism, and that we need structural reform to bolster the kind of slightly rickety infrastructure we have now. And so I think I want to start just saying there's nobody I'd rather talk to uh, about this issue than uh, Senator Merkley, who's been working so phenomenally hard uh, to try to draw attention to and kind of shine a light on these issues. Senator Merkley has served as the junior U.S. Senator from Oregon since 2009. Before that, he was the 64th Speaker of the Oregon House of Representatives. He's been a leading voice in this effort to restore the foundations of democratic governance by taking on these issues we are going to discuss today, vote suppression, dark money, gerrymandering, corruption. So, Senator Merkley, I want to welcome you uh, to South by Southwest. It's really a treat to get to talk to you again. Alia, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. And this is such an important topic for the future of our country. So I think I want to start by just saying that these ideas are not necessarily connected. I think there has been, we have lived through four years of illiberalism, of what seems like authoritarianism. And then you and I are going to have a conversation about democracy reform and voting rights. So, of course, they're connected in some sense. But I think that for people who say, hey, you know, phew, we just emerged from a four-year period that saw fundamental erosions of constitutional rights and freedom. And look, the system held. Everything worked and we stood in lines and we voted. And so we can move on and think about other things. And I think... You and I start from the opposite presumption <laughs> that the system held but barely. Uh, I think you told The Atlantic you see it as if, quote, the American vision of representative government has slid over the cliff. And it's like we caught a root and we are just cl 
clinging onto it by our fingertips. So somewhere between the Capitol insurrection on January 6th, Brennan Center reporting showing that in the 2021 so far, we've seen 253 bills to restrict voting access in 43 states, seven CPAC panels on vote fraud and stolen elections. You and I, I think, agree that this is not over by any means. This is ongoing and possibly escalating. But I'm going to ask the hard question first, Senator, which is connect what we've seen in the last four years for people who don't understand why democracy reform urgently needs to happen now. I'll tell you, this is the way I would, would frame it, that in any republic, you have a tension between the very powerful using all the instruments that they have to enact laws that favor the very powerful. And against that force, you then have grassroots uh, voices, efforts, organizing who want to use the power of the ballot box to address the fundamental needs of ordinary people. So you have the powerful against ordinary families. And I think this is uh, symbolized by what we saw during the Trump administration, where they took their top priority to be two things. Well, well two top priorities. Uh, one was tax cuts for the richest Americans. And the second was putting Federalists, members of the Federalist Society, uh, into the courts. And the Federalist Society was formed to essentially have the courts find uh, a version of the First Amendment that favored corporate power over ordinary people. So these two things that, that were the top uh, driving force behind the Trump administration weren't about ordinary families. They were about the, the powerful. And, and why does this tension e exist? Well, you think about it. When you have a concentration of wealth, that money can be used to hire lobbyists. That money can be invested in elections. Uh, that money can be used in media campaigns to change the, the essential understanding of an issue on how to, how to frame an, an issue. It can be used in teams of lawyers that contest things in the courts. And it can be used after you have control of a legislature to change the laws so that the laws continue to favor the more powerful. And the, there is a, a point that really represents that completely. It's uh, changing the laws that make it harder for ordinary people to vote. So the voice of the powerful is threatened by the voice of the people. And if it's harder for the people to get to the ballot, it makes it easier for the wealthy and powerful to keep doing the wealthy and powerful thing, which is make themselves uh, better off. So that is, that is this fundamental tension. And we see this right now uh, being played out across America where state legislatures and, and governors, particularly in states that have uh, Republican members of or House and Senate, state House, state Senate, uh, governor, uh, proceeding to say, let's make it much harder for people to vote. Let's limit early voting. Uh, let's limit vote by mail. Let's purge the, the voting rolls of those who vote only uh, periodically. Let's force people to vote on, on election day, which means we can manipulate the precincts to make it harder to vote, understaff the precincts, reduce the number, reduce the number of drop boxes, put machinery in there that doesn't work. I mean, tell people that the vote was last week, so they missed the vote this week. There's so much manipulation that can go on. So this is where S1 comes in, the For the People Act. Uh, it says, hey, no, our job under the Constitution here in the Senate, we've taken our oaths of office to defend the constitutional vision of the participation of Americans in the direction of their government. That is government of, by, and for the people. Whether your views are on the right or on the left, you get to participate. And that's the battle we're in the middle of right now. 
I love what you're saying, Senator, because I think you make this really important point, which is it's easy to look at the last four years as kind of episodic anti-democratic moments. But what you're talking about is an entire infrastructure that exists. It long exists, pre-exists Trump. It will continue to exist after Donald Trump. And your point is that the capture of the courts, the dark money influence on the conversation, state Republican efforts to disenfranchise minority voters, that's been going on for a very long time. Removing Donald Trump and putting Biden into office doesn't change any of that infrastructure. The money is continuing to pour into that. And that's one of the things you want to turn off. Yes, absolutely. There's three basic uh, forms of of corrupted practices that we're addressing. Uh, One is the dark money. That is money in our campaign system. You don't know where it comes from. You can't attribute who's buying those ads, so on and so forth. And it's hidden through um, multiple shell operations uh, that move the money to and fro or people who never have to disclose in the first place. Back when we had the battle over putting limits on what you and I can donate to a campaign, that was the McCain-Feingold bill. So you had a, a progressive Feingold. You had a conservative McCain who said, hey, this money is contaminating the system. So let's put a limit on what an ordinary person can donate. Well, they put those limits in place, uh, but what happened is the, the money found another way. It moved through a whole series of, of uh, uh, packs uh, that became dark money. And then we had a bill called the Disclose Act saying, hey, you got to shine a light on that. And uh, we, we, it was so interesting because we had all these people who during McCain-Feingold said, don't put a limit. The answer is instead sunshine, uh, public disclosure. And when we voted on disclosure, Suddenly, they voted against it, protecting that money, the hundreds of millions of dollars that really stemmed uh, from 2014 forward with Citizens United decision. So voter suppression, another big piece of this, and that's what we see in all these tactics I was just describing that are erupting in state houses across the country to make it harder, harder to vote. And then gerrymandering, which doesn't affect the Senate, but has a huge impact on state legislatures and on representation in Congress. And you hear these explicit discussions. Let's further gerrymander our state uh, to uh, basically reclaim control of the U.S. House of Representatives. Right now, that bias, there are, there are Democratic states that are gerrymandered, like Maryland. There are Republican states like Texas. But most political scientists say it amounts to about 15 to 20 votes currently in favor of Republicans, more bias in, and gerrymandering in red states. Uh, so having independent commissions set up the boundaries is, is a way to address this on, on the front end. If you are not a Slate Plus member, you can find out more and join us at slate.com slash amicus plus. Membership gives you access to ad-free versions of all of Slate's network of podcasts, exclusive bonus content from lots of our shows, and you will never, ever hit a paywall on Slate.com. And Slate Plus members, importantly, support all of Slate's journalism in these uncertain times. The financial support that you give makes all the difference to the work we're able to do. It's only a dollar for the first month. Go to Slate.com slash Amicus Plus to check it out. And thank you. Thank you.